0: Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, Josh Pacheco and Hunter Hughes.
1: It is smoking hot, and I'm staring at a hawk that looks like he wants to dive bomb me in my backyard. (laughs) Um, But anyway...
0: Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu.
2: This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu uh tanner hayworth is in for josh pacheco and he's already speaking in the third person about himself uh hunter hughes is on the other side of the table in the downtown honolulu pax's studios making sure to humble that tanner guy when he starts uh talking too much in the third person at least no
1: no 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 never (laughs) tanner's uh off the bench today which uh oddly enough is also the name of the show so we're, we're stoked to have you man it's
2: perfect whenever it works out like that There you go. speaking of like you know, going off of that sounder, did you hear about the whole – because of, you know, the heat and all that good yeah. stuff. Did you hear about Mike Gundy and his comments about the heat on how they had, uh, are predicting that the field temperatures for okay. Oklahoma State for their opening a game against Central Arkansas will be 150 to 160 degrees? On the field? That That's what they say the field temperature is going what? to be. And to quote – to go direct quote here, the reporter says, don't you think that's not safe for your athletes? And Mike Gundy just replied, it is. <laughs> and that's all I've heard about this from this entire conversation. Okay, so, so
0: I
1: actually have a little bit of authority to respond to that comment. Right. My, The majority of my family lives in Oklahoma. Um, I've been to an Oklahoma State home opener. Uh, because Drew Brown transferred from here right. and played for them. And uh, me and my girlfriend uh, drove down there and went to their home op- opener. And I will say, um, she about had a, a heat stroke actually walking into the stadium because it was incredibly hot. But 150 is crazy.
2: 150 to 160 degrees. Um, on I the thi- turf. Yeah. So this was from uh, John Walker, who covers Oklahoma State and preps for the uh, SDW News Press. Uh, and in that, so like he says, he says that seems dangerous. Someone said, and he said it is. And then after that, uh, he says that'll be another reason why Gundy and Co. will probably see multiple players at countless positions, not just to look, you know, at everyone differently, but it's almost impo- to quote. It's almost impossible to think a guy's going to go and play 75 snaps, especially in that heat. Because, I mean, the worst heat that I ever experienced when playing was probably, like, when we played at Aloha Stadium at noon. Oof. Which was, you know, people's... Cleats were melting and all all that great stuff. We were spraying our cleats every time we got off the field with water, mm. and that's the worst that I've ever had to do. Because luckily I've lived in Hawaii
1: yeah. for
2: my entire Where life, so I've rarely, never had to.
1: Rarely gets above ninety five,
2: which unless it's you know the last couple of weeks.
1: <laughs> I don't know if it's gotten over ninety five though.
2: Oh, 95. Oh yeah, for sure. Sorry, I thought you said I thought you were hitting ninety, and I was already yeah. What's it called? That, ready that, with that's the, okay. Uh, I mean, ready with the
1: statement to Gundy's defense. It's go. It's Crazy hot right yeah. now on the mainland. Crazy hot. And uh, the the guy that we uh, – the opening soundbite was actually Andrew, uh, who we spoke to yesterday. He's the uh, play-by-play guy for Vandy. Right. And uh, he was talking about how scorchingly hot it is in uh, Nashville right now for all of our guys about to play here in a couple days' time. So um, good I mean, thing about Power 5 infrastructure is – they have indoor facilities that everybody uses four times like this. So they're in the air conditioning. I doubt Oklahoma State is doing many practices outside right now. Right. Other than maybe doing some conditioning stuff to get them ready for the heat. I, I still feel like 150 is exaggerated, though. It might be close it's to 120. Just,
2: it's probably just the heat you feel that's coming off the field. You know what I mean? Especially if it's a – I don't I don't, I don't actually know if Oklahoma State plays on turf or natural grass.
1: It's a turf field.
2: Because if it's turf, then I think that just makes it even hotter. It Because the plastic just gets hotter and hotter it, and
1: hotter. Yeah, it, illumine- it kind of reflects the sun. Right. And then the the black mats that perimeter mm. that field that – I don't know if you've watched an Oklahoma State game. The, the fans all have these huge uh, wooden paddles, and they smack the pads – so it sounds like a gunshot because they're the Cowboys. And so the whole thing is um, right. pokes, pistols firing. And so they they all at one time off of that black mat around the, the, the stadium would probably be even hotter too. Right. So Boone Picking Stadium is going to be heat, heated up here in yeah, a little bit.
2: Definitely not excited if I was like a Central Arkansas player. But I feel like if you're in central Arkansas, you're getting the same heat that Oklahoma's getting.
1: You are. I wonder what, what parts of the country is, is most hot. But, you know, when considering that, I know that they probably have TV obligations for playing these games at a certain time on, right. you know, an opening Saturday. But consider the kids' safety. You know, everybody might need to wait to play, you know, 5, 6 o'clock and just play at nighttime.
2: Right. And. At- that would be hell for TV stations if you just if if you were just told, "Hey, we're about to shorten your inventory by a lot because we want to look out for these players." And they're totally. like, "We got to look good by protecting the players, but we're going to lose so much money on this because, especially these days in college football." College football makes a lot of money Tons. for these guys, especially when you look at a uh, – was it the Fox Sports who plays probably the most ads you'll ever see yeah. when it comes to a lot of the commercial breaks? That's definitely something I'm going to be watching for this weekend for week zero. I mean there's so much to be excited about other than all the heat. I saw that Steven Side tweeted yesterday that the temperatures at 630 in Nashville or at least the hit the heat index was at 100 Woo. at 630 p.m. Yikes. At game time, uh, come Saturday. Oh so my. that's definitely something I think the entire team is probably gonna be focusing on. Mm-hmm. I saw they were practicing outdoors in the heat, so I'm sure that Hawaii is trying to get acclimated to that, uh, to the new you know atmosphere that they have to be in because you're no longer in the. Is Nashville humid?
1: Yeah, I mean, pretty much any anywhere in the. See, this
2: is like the now the me that doesn't know anything that yeah, goes on on the mainland. Anywhere in
1: the Midwest and in the South gets crazy humid in, in the summertime, and uh, it's an El Nino year right True. now too, and so I feel like summer is a little bit delayed, uh, which is kind of why we didn't really get much of a summer swell over here mm. um, on South uh, South Shore. So everything's kind of delayed, and they're experiencing that over on the mainland for sure.
2: Dang, well, as Hawaii, you know, prepares for that Vanderbilt game, there's that. I that's something that I don't think a lot of people really think about that the uh, John Walker, the guy whose tweet we're, ref- we're referencing, is going to be really important for this Hawaii team. Imagine if we gone there last year and it was this kind of heat with the depth that we had, or should I say, the lack of depth we had? Do you think that maybe in the heat, kind of like this? That's the situation where you're going to see a lot more players kind of come in, come out, come in, come out. Because now you got to deal with a lot of this managing of heat and how you're managing, you know, making sure your body stays cool, that you don't overheat and you don't, you know, faint.
1: Yeah. You know? I think our offense is already positioned to play a bunch of guys, especially at the, uh, the, the receiver position. Um, the weather predicament, which I'd be shocked if they even prepared for that, uh, more than like a couple of days ago. Like, I, I don't even think that they, that was very much on Hawaii's radar. I'd be shocked if it was, um, because they're, they're focused on repping the run and shoot more, more than anything. And uh, to to get that accomplished again, you, I, I really believe we're, we're going to see close to nine receivers being used throughout this season. um, at various points, the X, the Y, the H, the Z, and interchanging tight ends and running backs in there with Tylen Hines um, as well. So our guys are ready. I think uh, getting fresh legs in there uh, against um, against different matchups is going to be beneficial, and also beneficial if it's extremely hot to keep those legs fresh.
2: Right, and. You know, if you want to look into the future, I'm looking at the. I think it's AccuWeather right now, and it's focused right around Vanderbilt Stadium uh, today. Clear and humid. Heat advisory from 12 to 8 p.m. Uh, Friday. This is from 12 p.m. Tuesday to 8 p.m. Friday. There was there has been a heat advisory at Vanderbilt Stadium specifically. And when you go to Saturday, 97 degrees is the high. The low is 74 degrees, 40% humidity, partly sunny and hot. A thunderstorm around in the p.m., Danger of dehydration and heat stroke if outside for extended periods of time. And it's looking like real field degrees around 106 is what they say um, for Saturday for the uh, debut of the Rainbow Warriors in 2023. Uh,
1: there, there's a line from a commercial that's coming to, line right, to, to mind right now. We love our Fujitsu. Oh If there was ever a business to get into right now. In the Midwest or in the South, it would be air conditioning.
2: Air conditioning and air air conditioning repairmen. Dude,
1: those guys are getting money. I bet you're getting. I bet they're killing it right now.
2: Right. I mean, that's what we're hoping. You that want to the- talk
1: about dealing with a Karen though? <laughs> <laughs> a Karen that is in the middle of uh, a you know, hundred and eight degree Oklahoma heat and their air conditioner is not working.
2: That's, act- that's
1: actually terrible. That's a Karen in all caps.
2: Well, I feel like I would turn into that I would, kind of Karen I, I, if I'm in 108 and my air conditioning isn't working. You took right it. out
1: of my mouth. I, I would turn into a Karen. <laughs> Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Karen Hunter Hughes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> 808-296-1420 is the number to call us or text us. Bring um, me my
1: macchiato. It's...
2: I mean, it's a hot summer. <laughs> I think we all know that. It's a lot of hot weather pretty much everywhere. I'm looking at a lot of these games where ESPN provides um, uh, the uh, the predictions for weathers. I mean, you have UTEP at Jacksonville State. Uh, by the way, welcome in Jacksonville Florida. State to the FBS. Nice to have you. Hopefully, you weren't too successful in your first couple of years because you won't reap any uh, any any were rewards they, uh, from that. HBCU. Uh, Jacksonville State, I am not sure off the top of my head, actually. But I do know – actually, no. I think they were in FCS because I remember seeing them around a couple of times. Okay, That's for sure. But, yeah, so welcome them. But Their debut game will be in 97-degree weather. Uh, UMass at New Mexico State, probably – everyone's game that they have circled on, if you are a uh, sicko college football fan like me, I know this is a game that I desperately want to watch on the side while Hawaii and Vanderbilt is going on. Because you have UMass, who is always bad. There is nothing you can do to the Minutemen that will make them good. You can try to sign a guy like Nick Rolovich, but he might just leave anyways uh, without ever actually making it out there. Shout out to Rolo. Uh, But New Mexico State... They're kind of in this weird mode of, are they good? Because their starting quarterback last year, Diego Pavia, this is a guy we're going to be seeing in a couple of weeks. I think bef- as we lead up to that game against New Mexico State, when they come over to Hawaii, I believe that's week five, mm. That I'm going to be watching New Mexico State in the next coming weeks because I, I need to know if last year's version of those, uh, I, are they the Aggies? I think I need to know if those Aggies will be good or not, Mm -hmm. like how much they absolutely killed us last year. And they made their way all the way to a bowl game and won that bowl game. It's true. So – Will last year be a kind of – not the, the word isn't mulligan. What's the word? Exception towards the absolutely terribleness that an is surrounding that. Yeah, an anomaly for this program or not. That's something I'm going to be watching out for. Other games to watch for week zero, you have Ohio versus San Diego State. Mm. Of course, San Diego State, our uh,
1: – Mountain West fakers.
2: Yes. And Ohio – Brian Smith is the passing That's right. coordinator there. Schmitty. So it's going to be interesting to see if he comes down and has his own memories of San Diego State, as he looks to keep on beating them. I believe the last time he played San Diego State, it was a pretty uh, eventful game, where there was some pushing and shoving at least by the end.
1: Did uh, did Wazoo play them?
2: No, I was. I was you're talking oh, about Hawaii. I was talking about Hawaii. I actually have no idea if Wazoo played San Diego State. I didn't think about that. I was mostly referencing the, you know, the game where you know we go into the Mountain West Championship game mm-hmm. that unfortunately had that little uh, moment in there with the push of mm-hmm. the photographer there. But I think the two games everyone's probably going to be watching. Obviously, we're going to be watching Hawaii-Vanderbilt, that San Jose State-USC game. Mm. that's intriguing, I think, for a lot of us here. Because, Shevin. at least for the national national audience, they want to watch Caleb, Caleb Williams. Williams. They want to watch him like absolutely dominate against what they think is going to be a terrible team. But San Jose State, as we all know, has a pretty good quarterback in Chevin Cordero, mm-hmm. preseason Mountain West player. Was he preseason Mountain West Offensive Player of the Year? I think so. So... I want to watch that game because I want to watch Shevin at least put up numbers against USC. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to remember it's a number six ranked USC team That's who right. has, you know, despite having maybe a, a solid defense that could probably, you know, have some penetration as the day goes on. Uh, like we said, they got this guy named Caleb Williams, Eisman Trophy winner. Got a coach named Lincoln Riley uh, and very Cliff Kingsbury.
1: Amazing. I forgot Cliff Kingsbury That's right. is an analyst for that team. Yep. So yeah, he's, you, he's probably working directly with Caleb Williams right now. He has a lineage of working with high-pedigree quarterbacks.
2: At least Heisman-winning quarterbacks. When you think about those Texas Tech quarterbacks.
1: Number one quarterbacks in the NFL as well with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah,
2: And Kyler Murray, yep. right? Number one.
1: <laughs> and I think he uh, – who is the other one? Oh, Johnny. Johnny oh, Football. Oh, Johnny Manziel. That's yeah. why
2: he was on the mind. Because he go. was in the uh, Johnny Manziel doc, the Untold doc. Uh-huh. Uh, Tanner Hayworth in for Josh Pacheco alongside Hunter Hughes. We have a lot of opinions on a lot of these sports docs. Because the last couple of months, a lot of them have been coming out. Whether it be the Johnny Manziel Untold or the Untold Swamp Kings. These are all the things you need to know that you don't know about the University of Florida program back when they are winning national championships. And also there's this other one. On HBO Max, going on right now, called BS High about the whole Bishop Sycamore situation. (laughs) We both got tons of feelings about a lot of these sports stocks.
1: BS High, yep, it's the best name. That's a great branding right there. But
2: we'll talk about those right after this break. This is Off the Bench on ESPN, Honolulu. Guess who's back? It's off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. Tanner here with him for Josh Pacheco alongside Hunter Hughes. Uh, uh, while we were in the break, we did get a call. Uh, Jamal, we see you on the line. How's it going?
0: So, Hunter I have a question for you, um,
2: Hunter. Since you're a Chicago Bears fan, some people say that Justin Fields, this could be his breakout season. Do you see this season as Justin Fields'
0: breakout season? Thank you.
1: Thank you, Jamal. Thanks for the call, Jamal. Um I certainly hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um the uh the the bears have been struggling for a long time. The the one thing that I hope and pray does not happen is that we just exhaust the heart and dedication and willpower of a gem like Justin Fields and just bury him in the ground of mediocrity because he is in my mind, the second coming of Cam Newton, mm. uh, maybe even faster too. When you can, say, like it's almost Cam Newton mixed with RG three. Whenever he was healthy, um, an unbelievable athlete, uh, a, an unbelievable leader, not afraid to get hit. Um, absolutely love that guy. And the the, the thing that uh, to your uh, to your call Jamal that actually helps that hypothesis is that we've gone out and gotten some help for him. Great help. Um, so Some really good help, but uh, at the end of the day, it's the Bears, <laughs> and my entire life, I have watched them just obliterate our hopes and dreams uh, with either a botched field goal or Rex Grossman throwing interceptions in the Super Bowl after Devin Hester returns the opening kickoff against Peyton Manning. I just, it's tough for me to get my hopes up, although this certainly could be Fields is coming out party.
2: What I like about Justin Fields this year, by the way. I want to talk about, you know, what you were saying on how you hope he doesn't lose heart. I feel like this is the perfect quarterback to draft for Chicago mm. because I feel like I know that Justin Fields will be committed to this franchise very much so because I think about that um it was the uh it was the it was definitely the playoffs, the college football playoffs where they beat Clemson and he wins that game with broken ribs. Mm. He went out there and still played with the broken ribs. And then the next game, he went out there and still played with those broken ribs. Sure, they didn't win that game. Um, but still, it showed the absolute dedication that a Justin Fields has for a franchise that stays committed to him. And from what we I've seen, at least in the off season. They have shown their commitment towards Justin Fields Mm. by rewarding him with these weapons, by giving him a guy like a DJ Moore from the Carolina Panthers, um, by drafting an absolute I would say a diamond in the rough here, the running back Roshan Johnson from Texas, because he's kind of a do-it-all kind of back. He can pass block. He can catch out of the backfield. He can run a little bit and pair him alongside Khalil Herbert, who can also pretty much catch the ball. He's he's like that lightning to Roshan Johnson's thunder, in my opinion. They have one of the best run-blocking offensive lines in the NFL, apparently, Mm. despite their kind of shoddiness throughout the entire season. So I think there is a glimmer of hope for all you Chicago Bear fans out there. I know more exist outside the parameters of this office because we do see the texts uh, yeah. very often whenever we just say one small little bad thing about the Bears and you'll see the text. Yep. There you go, always criticizing my Bears. Where's the text about me bringing up the Bears every t- almost every time that I talk mm. Although I say that and they probably I don't they're not gonna win the division though yeah,
1: yeah. they'll be
2: good they'll be much better they'll
1: be good but it's it's been a complete shifting of the tide it's between the Lions and the Vikings for the NFC North
2: right and you and both have done really good things I, I like their chances season.
1: against Green Bay though
2: I'll, I can't wait for that that
1: I'm excited about
2: is there Rogers a, is gone is there a uh, chance for the Chicago Bears if they beat Green Bay in Chicago do they chant back? We own you now?
1: No. If Do you think d- people will be dumb enough to say that, Of though? course they will. <laughs> of course they would. Just like uh, Hawaii fans will be dumb enough to blame Shager if he doesn't throw for 400 yards in the first game of the run and shoot. Right. Um, there's no way that you can turn around and claim that we own the Green Bay Packers after a decade of them destroying us. Come on. It just doesn't make any sense.
2: Well, that's the best part about the NFL is that at least when it comes to a lot of fan bases, they say a lot of things that don't make sense. Yeah, just they, look at Dallas Cowboys fans. They don't. They keep thinking that they're going to you know, actually make it somewhere in the playoffs. But yet they still come every single year, you know? And you know what? To that point, I have to congratulate them for just having that much loyalty towards a team, mm. and I gotta appreciate it because I know if I say something good about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on my Twitter, I probably will get almost zero response. And if I probably say become like a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'll probably just be farming engagement so much that I have to pay for like Twitter Blue so I can start getting some money off of that thing. <laughs> uh, we got Sports <laughs> Center coming up after this break. Like we said, we're gonna talk about a lot of those sports documentaries because hey, we got some tough opinions on them and whether or not some are actually good to watch and whether most of them are pretty bad these days. (laughs) This is Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes. I'm in here for uh, Josh Pacheco because he's got to be off to YPO Soccer Complex because we'll be holding uh, uh, Wahine Soccer right after this. Uh, right now we're watching a lot of preseason. There are the two preseason games going on tonight on uh, Amazon. Was it Prime Video? Mm-hmm. Uh, they got they're in halftime right now for or they're about to be in halftime. It is the Colts and the Eagles. The Colts have a 14 to 10 lead. Over the Eagles? Mm-hmm. I can't remember because this Oh, 17-13. There we go. And it is going to be two-minute drill, it looks like, for Anthony Richardson, maybe? Or that could be for the Eagles.
1: I think the Eagles the No, the have Eagles the ball now. just got
2: the ball now. Yep. So, Anthony Richardson and all of the ones for the Indianapolis Colts have been playing this entire half. So, the fact they got 17 points up there means, hey, they'll at least be better than the last time they were on Thursday Night Football. Mm. Uh, back in that game last year where... Matt Ryan and Russell Shout out Wilson. To Matt Ryan. <laughs> that game was absolutely terrible. One of the worst football games Matty I've ever ice watched. In my became life.
1: ice cold.
2: But in the other preseason game, you got the Steelers and the Falcons. Where the Steelers are just about to finish the third quarter. It is twenty-four to nothing. Uh, you have Kenny Pickett finishing his day four for four, eighty-six yards. Uh, Najee Harris had a touchdown. But the big highlight so far, in my opinion. Once again, like how it has been every single game for the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense is Nick Herbig. Mm. He gets another sack, has a really great inside move, absolutely feels like he got untouched by the right tackle as he went in for the sack. He's had a sack in every single preseason game. Dang. And this dude was drafted in the fourth round. How about we learned? What college again? Uh, Wisconsin. Ah, that's right. And he was pretty good at Wisconsin, but... A lot of the knocks on him was, oh, you know, he's a little too small to be an effective edge rusher in the NFL. To which I say, 6'2", 240 pounds, uh, that makes him two inches taller than one guy who was also too small and too light to be an effective pass rusher in the NFL. Oh, yeah, by the way, he's also a Steelers legend, James Harrison. Harrison. Undrafted free agent was six foot 240 obviously he became a lot bigger
1: golly (laughs) but dude could have auditioned for the mountain on game of thrones
2: i feel like that guy should have proven that at to a point too small and too light doesn't really mean much if you are an amazing pass rusher uh a la nick herbig Mm. so shout out to him i hopefully he'll start getting some uh A lot more snaps because right now I really just feel like at that edge rusher position, you have him, T.J. Watt.
1: You might have heard of him. Who's playing preseason games, by the way.
2: Yeah, he also had a sack where he just made an offensive lineman kind of
1: forget where he was in life. He
2: hit him – what was it? He
1: just ran by him. Kind of hit him on an inside swipe move, and (laughs) after he was three steps by him, the Falcons' right tackle – realized oh i i i better act like i'm doing something and then turned his back on TJ Watt who is sprinting at his quarterback by the way and acted like he was blocking the air it looked like it's something out of Madden where you're just like dude block that guy's getting cut
2: yeah uh, that could have been a starter because he's playing against TJ Watt jeez that has to be the starting right tackle for the Atlanta Falcons make
1: well, a move then
2: they're a much better running team yeah to be
1: fair, they have okay. like three
2: good running backs. Well, it,
1: whoever the quarterback was, he ended up running and yeah. getting tackled.
2: Yeah, that that was either Taylor Heineke or Logan Woodside, and neither of them are going to be the starting quarterbacks for the Atlanta Falcons. I think that's for sure. Raider. But we've been teasing this for a little bit because I just personally just feel so, as a lover of sports documentaries, my entire life. Yep. I just feel so miffed about what we have these days. I grew up watching those amazing 30 for 30s. Unbelievable. I, the Bad Boys, The You. I mean – Bo knows. Those have been just ingrained in my mind because yeah. of how much I've watched
1: those. The greatest that never was.
2: Exactly. And the
1: I Marinovich feel like – Project, right, all of them.
2: I feel like since The Last Dance – and this is no disrespect mm-hmm. to Michael Jordan and all that stuff – since The Last Dance, something has happened
1: to sports documentaries. I loved The Last – you didn't like The Last Dance?
2: I thought it was too – it's it's the similar issue. It's what? not as bad. It's not as bad as what they are now. But I think The Last Dance caused this where it has the production of the person that the documentary is mainly focused on. They are like heavily influencing said product. okay. And I feel like in a lot of these situations, especially a lot of these modern ones, it has turned a lot of these what's supposed to be a sports documentary, what's supposed to be telling you everything behind the scenes of what's going on about what you're focusing on. And it just turns it into like a PR video. You think about – I'm going to focus on the two Untold series on Netflix that came out recently and also – Last dance to me, it was fine. I'm not like I'm a I'm a LeBron guy. Oh, uh, that's why. So I'm sorry. from I'm from sorry. Chicago.
1: I thought last sorry, dance. Sorry, guys. Last dance literally brought me to tears.
2: Shout out to that uh, security guard though.
1: Oh yeah, I love him. The shrug guy. I love
2: we both shrugged as yep. if everyone could see us because we're on radio. It was
1: like one of the the, <laughs> the most popular memes from 2020.
2: Or the uh, I took that personally. Yeah, like so last good. dance was good. But it just caused this weird ripple effect where now you have the Untold series, where you have a documentary about Johnny Manziel that never talks about Johnny Manziel like all the stuff off the field that happens to him in the NFL. Yeah,
1: they're, it was uh, pretty G-rated the way right. that they're kind of going after these things. Um, now, to their defense, okay, you, you can obviously see – the kind of marketing strategy behind Netflix on releasing these documentaries the month before college football begins. Right. They're trying to get eyeballs. And what, what do you get whenever you um, throw out a mass appeal college football documentary? You get eyeballs from a huge demographic, from little kids all the way up to senior citizens – you got to keep it somewhat clean.
2: I understand you got to keep it clean, but at the same time, I think about those Detroit the Bad Boys, and it went a lot more in depth than what I think a Johnny Manziel that series went in, or at least what the Swamp Kings did. Now the Swamp Kings was about the University of Florida football team with Urban Meyer that yep. won a couple nat- national championships. They were quarterbacked by this guy. Not sure if you've heard of him, Tim Tebow. Tebow. And there's a couple of players that were on these teams that make this team rather infamous. Uh, One guy, Aaron Hernandez, who himself had a lot of issues in college. The Pouncey Twins, who both of them had very similar issues both in the college football world and the NFL. Percy Harvin... While a great college football player also had his own issues, and we could keep on going on and on and on. There's yep. Urban Meyer and his situation with the whole chest pain stuff and how he was going to retire, and that's that in in itself is kind of weird situation, as well as multiple other uh, confrontations or threatening things that happened. So all of those things that I just talked about,
1: they don't, don't even, get bring up. Yeah. They,
2: they don't get brought up.
1: I mean, briefly, they they brought up. Urban uh, keeping the entire team on the plane, on the tarmac, after they lost a game, saying that he's doing everything in his power and they're not giving full effort, and he dismissed the coaches and cussed out the team for, like, close to an hour, and he said, if you don't want to be here, you can leave, and players left the plane. Um, They did a pretty good job documenting the intensity of the training, and the toll that that took on certain guys, both positively and negatively. But, yeah, like they only scratched the surface of – for those of us that followed sports, you can't help but go, okay, there's way more to this story. How how much time did you spend on this? And, what, what, like, what was the deadline at midnight and you started <laughs> at 1030? Because that's kind of what it feels like.
2: I mean, they don't even bring up Cam Newton. And he's like has one of the more infamous stories of that team because a lot of people don't know this. And you think in a series called Untold. Untold. Untold.
1: Tell us was, something we don't know.
2: Right? And they don't even bring up stuff that we do know, like Cam Newton and, his, and the stolen laptop situation.
1: Tell us about uh, – hey, Liz, you'll like this. Tell us about uh, Tim Tebow and uh, Taylor Swift's uh, r- r- romantic uh, <laughs> escapades that apparently happened slash didn't happen.
2: Or talk about um, Carlos Dunlap getting arrested before the 2009 SEC championship game.
1: Or, or the fact that, what's that percentage? I know you've probably seen it on social. Like, what, 30% of that '07 7 team is <laughs> either now in jail or did serve time? Like, a staggering amount of, of guys on that roster did time in jail.
2: The, these sports documentaries should just be called "Told." Told, yeah. We told them, or we'll, uh, or we'll tell you.
1: <laughs> um, here's some of it. Here's what, what we can get away with telling.
2: Here's the Wikipedia article that we paraphrased. Here's um. This would, I mean, if you put the script from Untold into a um into a plagiarism check, it would probably show up as one hundred percent. Because it would just be so kind of it feels. I'm not gonna say it's low effort because obviously there's a lot of people that put a lot of time into all these productions. It just doesn't feel
1: as in depth as it should be, especially when it's called untold. Yeah, and you know, it, at least with okay, let's just look at the Florida documentary and the the level of training and intensity that an Urban Meyer led team um, operated. It's a different world that we live in now. That stuff doesn't fly anymore. Matt Drills, Matt Drills do not fly anymore. No. Like, they'd have lawsuits left and right booked with the NCAA. Um, I I don't know if the world today could handle like an R rated documentary from that era, even though we all want it. I think the world could handle it. I think there's a
2: whole lot that we still do watch to this day. If that was happening in the modern day, then I don't think they would want it because obviously you want to look out for the safety of all the players. I think for all the people out there like you or I or a lot of the college football fans out there that know much about this team, we all wanted that. That's what you expect when you get the documentary The Swamp Kings. And now unfortunately, because they've covered this product, they've covered this team, there is a high chance that we're never going to hear about it ever again. Yeah, they, no one ever is I don't really they're think
1: They're not going to revisit it.
2: Right, because it's already been, it's been visited done. before, even though the documentary should just be called Urban Meyer and why he's just the greatest college football coach of
1: all time or uh, 5 years at Florida. <laughs> that, like, basically, it really just broke down game for game how the team did. And they had Tebow talking about specific plays, Brandon Spikes talking about specific plays. That was basically it. They And also, I'm, I'm going to gripe on something right here. Gripe. They, they wanted to act as if after one loss, like at the beginning of the year, that Urban Meyer drastically changed the way that they lifted weights or trained or got their bodies ready and they needed to get shapen up. There is no chance that they changed their training method mid season. I'm sorry, I'm I'm calling BS on that. There's no chance that you're making those guys lift like that in season. How are they gonna be ready to play in five days?
2: Nah no, yeah against it's...
1: another SEC opponent. Like I know they did their best in storytelling. That, to me, was the biggest frustration because if you know football, they don't lift like that during the year. That's all happening in the spring. The, like, if anything, you, you might do uh, some stretching. You might do a little bit of running. It, it's it's all maintenance during the season. So that part of the storytelling, again, I, I, I went to film school at UH. Like, I was mm. I was an animation major at UH, and so... I really focus on storytelling and doing a good job, especially if it's based on a true story. That part was tough for me.
2: And you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, calling BS on a lot of this stuff. Let's go ahead and talk about some uh, a a piece of work that does the sports documentary justice. And that's BS High on Max. They have a new sports documentary. I think it actually just came out like yesterday Hmm. about Bishop Sycamore. Now, if that name rings a bell a couple of years ago, there was that whole situation where on ESPN, they were showcasing a high school game between IMG Academy and Bishop Sycamore, a school that's not even a school. If you just – if you love a lot of the sports documentaries and you want to watch just an enticing story of going into the mind of who I believe is an absolute sociopath of Roy Johnson, the guy that kind of came up with this whole situation of Bishop Sycamore and all of the consequences, not only for him but for all this, for all these kids whose lives he's ruined, mm. this is an amazing documentary because you have Roy Johnson there. And he is telling you straight up everything that he's done and why he did things. And in the end, what is so just disgusting about it is he is so unremorseful that he is still so open to blame absolutely everyone else. And how just – it's incredible. I recommend this watch to absolutely everyone if you don't have Max. Uh, find a friend who has HBO Max. <laughs> if you don't have Max, I mean, sorry, man. I, I think there might be a way to pirate it. Who knows? But I won't <laughs> say you should do it because that's illegal. Uh, but, yeah, definitely go he ahead. He must
1: be the worst pirate I've ever heard of.
2: Oh, you've heard of me. But you have heard of me. This is Off the Bench on ESPN. Honolulu Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes here in the downtown Honolulu Baxa Studios. 808-296-1420 is the number to call us or text us. We'll see you right after this break.
1: No
2: That's probably the message that Brett Yormark and uh, the Big Ten they were all delivering to the Pac-Twelve. Uh carry on, my wayward son. But a lot of great news, I think, for Mountain West fans out there as well. Uh, This uh, from only a couple of hours ago from Ross Dellinger from Yahoo Sports. Apparently, Gloria Navarez is on the recruiting trail right now. And she has wrapped up her meeting with the uh, Washington State officials. Uh, She delivered an expansion presentation to those officials at Washington State and will soon present to Oregon State as well. Wow. And the AAC Commissioner, Mike Oresko, is presenting to both as well. So right now... It's kind of a race between the Mountain West and the American Athletic Conference into seeing who will get either Washington State or Oregon State or even just both of them. Uh, Certainly something very compelling to watch as the Pac-4 just really just try to find a home. The Pac-4? It's sad. It's really sad. It's crazy. I'll also say... I saw an AD – I think it was the Wyoming AD referred to them as the Pac-4, and he got way less flack than when David Lasner called them the Pac-4. Mm. I just have to put that – Well, how long ago to, was it? That was like a couple weeks ago. It was like a week after that when Lasner made his comment.
1: Maybe it was just too soon.
2: It could have been. But I just had to put that off my chest a little bit. It was sitting there, and I had to just
1: – Yeah, it, I would have never guessed – when conference realignment first started to be a thing, when Oklahoma and Texas announced that they would be going to the SEC, would have never in my wildest dreams thought that the Pac-12 would be the ones to potentially go under. I really thought that it was the Big 12. I thought they lost their two biggest brands, their two biggest bargaining chips. And, man, hats off to them. Hats off to that conference in going out and being hungry, and I mean, biting off more than half of the Pac-12, and scooping up in my mind relevancy when last year this time they were they were at risk for going under, and then the Pac-12 just got got lazy, man.
2: Yeah. One what's what makes this equally sad, also equally as great for the Big 12 conference, is two years ago, to this day, the ACC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12 joined together to stabilize a volatile environment and created the alliance. Do you remember that? Two years ago, the ACC and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 all came together. To make sure that we would all be safe from conference realignment and the evil SEC. And oh, oh, hi, Big 12. Oh, you can't join our club, actually. You're a little too small. There's a
1: line from The Office coming to mind when Dwight Trude goes to Jim and asks, Would you like to form an alliance with me? <laughs> and then Jim, of course, responds, Absolutely, I do.
2: I just want to see what's, what's going to happen.
1: Yeah. He, that, that's basically it. That's, uh, AC, I'll, the I'll, ACC
2: was Jim in that situation. That's right. Okay. The Pac-12 would have been Dwight, I yep. guess.
1: They. Uh, uh, we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to uh, watch this roller coaster come to a crash. What
2: will make this equally as sad is if the ACC do get Cal and Stanford. Mm-hmm. Because then the ACC would have taken those two. The Big Ten would have taken USC, UCLA, Washington, and Oregon. All and they're going to have
1: to rebrand. Right. You can't still be the ACC and have two schools from the West Coast. Well, you
2: can't be the Big Ten and have, like, 20 teams.
1: The same goes for the Big 12. The numbers aren't as much of an issue for me. Mm. You can't be the Atlantic well, remember, Coast Conference. Well,
2: remember when the Big Ten had 12 teams and yeah. the Big 12 had 10 teams? Yeah. At that moment, I remember as a kid being very confused it's, it's because confusing. I wasn't that into college football. And I'm like, wait, but that's, that's not right. Yeah. In the end, it looks like we'll have two big 20s. Uh, Well, on the other side of this break, we're going to have SportsCenter coming up. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, We got a lot of stuff coming up, whether it be, you know, Giannis. Is he going to be on the Milwaukee Bucks this time next year? That's a lot of questions we got to answer on the other side of this break. ESPN Honolulu. I'm sure these are the vibes on the H1 right now as they're all drifting through those open streets, right? (laughs) Filling in for Josh Pacheco today because he will be doing a play-by-play for Rainbow Wahine Soccer. As they look for their first win of the season, they'll be taking on Sacramento State. A team that has a lot of Hawaii players on it, by the way, so there's probably going to be a lot of stuff. Talking about Maui today uh, before the game as well, so a lot of great stuff going on there. Um, Right now, though, we have a pretty awesome guest looking to come on the show today. He's the host of the Ross Tucker football podcast. So you can check out on social media at Ross Tucker NFL Ross Tucker. Ross, how's it going?
0: Doing awesome. How are you?
2: Doing great. And so, like we know, you are doing the national broadcast for the University of Hawaii uh, taken on the uh, Vanderbilt University. I was thinking it's not University of Vanderbilt. It's Vanderbilt University. But as you kind of look at this game, what are your kind of initial impressions of both teams as you're preparing for this matchup?
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I mean, for Vanderbilt... You know, they had uh, a huge year last year. And you don't often say that about a team that went 5-7. and seven, But, man, I mean, it was the first Power 5 win in, like, 24 games. The first SEC win in 28 games. They actually won two SEC games last year. So, it was kind of a breakthrough year for the Commodores a year ago under – Clark Lee in in year two for him there in Nashville. And so obviously they're hoping and trying to build upon what they did last year. And I think that they feel like they got a pretty good chance to do that. Whereas for Hawaii, obviously, you know, we know about the turmoil and and Timmy Chang taking over a year ago. I'm just really curious to see how Hawaii looks now that Timmy's had the, the reins to the program for a full year plus and is going back to the roots of the run-and-shoot offense. I'm guessing everybody out there is curious to see if it looks you know, like it used to when Timmy was a player.
2: That would definitely be very good for us, uh, considering last year's results against Vanderbilt, uh, but as we go into this year for Vanderbilt uh, from everything we hear about them Clark Lee sounds like he has his guy in AJ Swan is this going to be kind of the I wouldn't call it a resurgence or is this is this the surgence of the Vanderbilt Commodore program at, under Clark Lee right now with AJ Swan at the helm
0: Well there's no question they really like him and uh they're happy that he's their quarterback he did some really good things last year as a true freshman the thing that's tough about bandy is you know you can have really good players a couple years ago tyler steen played really well and then he transferred to alabama you know last year they ran the ball pretty well and their leading rusher transferred to kentucky now you know you guys know about that in hawaii i don't know if it's transfer portal or the nil or what but You know, I think Vanderbilt needs to do whatever they can to, A, have success, and B, find a way to keep their good players, because it feels like once a guy shows he can play at a high level in the SEC, the other SEC schools kind of try to pounce, and so Vandy losing their top running back is tough, Um, but yeah, I do think Vanderbilt believes that they'll build upon what they did last year, but, you know, they're still picked to finish last unanimously in the SEC East. So they got five wins. They got a couple in conference, but there's still a lot of people that are very skeptical about what Clark Lee and his staff is doing there in, in Vander, at Vanderbilt.
2: We're talking with Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. You can check him out on social media at Ross Tucker NFL.
1: Ross, uh, really quick, you know, you you cover nationally a a lot of different teams around the country, and uh, it's no um, difference for us out here in Hawaii, but uh, do you have to practice your pronunciation for Polynesian names covering Hawaii games?
0: Yeah, there's no question. Um, I think it's my second Hawaii game, and it's really, really difficult. It really (laughs) is. I mean, you know, in, in all sincerity, guys, I mean, I, I do a lot of NFL games. I do a lot of college football. This year I'll be doing both for CBS. This game happens to be Westwood One National Radio. And college football is way tougher than the NFL. Because for the NFL games, I kind of already know the starters for every team, right? And I even know most of the backups. Whereas for college... You know, you're almost starting from scratch. Now, ironically, I think I'll have three Vanderbilt games by October 15th. Uh, Vanderbilt plays at UNLV, another Mountain West team. I've got that game for CBS Sports Network, and then I think I'm doing Vanderbilt hosting Georgia uh, more than likely on CBS. So, uh, you know, I like the fact that I have three Vanderbilt games because the next two times, you know, it's a lot easier from a preparation standpoint, but I don't, I'm not scheduled to have Hawaii again this year. So I spend all this time memorizing the names and numbers of the starting lineup. And then with Hawaii, you have to add the pronunciations, which are really tough because even, even when, you know, there's something interesting about the Polynesian names, which is unlike some other tough pronunciations. Some of the Polynesian names five times, and you, you, you got it down pat, but then when it actually happened in the game, you still revert back and you say it wrong. It's you know, intimidating. I mean, like, some, some of these guys, no matter how much you practice, it still doesn't come out right when the game happens.
1: Is, is there anybody that we can help you with now that we've got you on the phone?
0: No, I I sort of just hope that guys like Logan Taylor make a lot of tackles that's <laughs> not how
1: I do. and Braden Shager, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Keep giving the ball, keep giving the ball to, to Tylen Hyde. Get the Texas team involved.
2: <laughs> so you're not looking for a sack from Lester lysane Longafuaina.
0: <laughs> you know what? If he gets a sack, I'll say that. That's why. I call him Lester. He's one of the best in the NFL. There we <laughs> go.
2: There we go. Uh, we're, uh, so, Ross, like we were talking about, you're doing a lot of these games out there. Uh, but you also have something else uh, going on. I mean, tell us about my front-page
0: story. Well, honestly, you guys probably never heard of it. To me, it's uh, a buddy of mine started heard the business. It's the best gift I've ever seen you'd be able to give a loved one. And so there are a lot of ways and reasons it could be, right? It could be for anniversaries, a lot of weddings, September, October. Um, obviously, we all know what's going on in Maui, and, and, and maybe some people get these stories for someone in memoriam. But it look it's it looks like it's on the cover of the newspaper. It looks like it's on a Honolulu advertiser. It's beautiful framed picture picture. Um, cover of a newspaper story all about your loved one so most people don't know what to get their significant other for the holidays or valentine's day or mother's day or a birthday or anniversary you can get them a custom-made story written all about them and how awesome they are at myfrontpagestory.com it's really pretty cool i've seen so many people get them now and and usually the women when they read the quotes about hey i just don't thank her enough for all the things she does around the, around the house and for the family, they usually cry. It's amazing. So my front And then they have it hanging up in the house like forever. My Dot com.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Ross, for joining us. Of course, you can always find him at Ross Tucker NFL. Uh, he's host of the Ross Tucker football podcast. And by the way, just, just small little advice uh, for the game time. If you see a long last name, that starts with uh, K A M. Kamaka Viva Ole. <laughs> Kamaka Viva Ole is how you say that. So just to help you Kamaka, out. K-
0: K- Kamaka Viva Ole.
2: Perfect. So if you ever see you forty-five it, or forty-six out there make a play, Kamaka we're gonna be Viva we're Ole. gonna be listening for you, Ross.
0: I love it. Well, listen. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the team. I, I hope they have a bounce-back year and. In all sincerity, uh, still thinking about all the folks out there uh, with what they've gone through in recent weeks. Hope everybody's safe and can get some enjoyment out of the Rainbow Warrior game on Saturday.
2: Awesome. Well, thank you, Ross, for joining us today. That was Ross Tucker. Uh, He is doing the national broadcast for the Hawaii and Vanderbilt game. Like you said, go give him a follow at Ross Tucker NFL. Doing a lot of you know, great stuff there. That's always got to be the at least the most intimidating part oh, when you dude. hear that you got Hawaii.
1: I live here, going on but here. it it scares it scares the crap out of me, man. Like especially doing the high school games, I <laughs> I, I I legitimately have a panic attack uh, whenever I whenever we do these these like huku games and there there's there's guys from up north or literally uh, transplants from America, Samoa right. like. Oh, my goodness. I, I don't want to butcher it, and I don't want to cause offense anyway culturally. That, that that would be the last thing I want to do.
2: What's nice about the Kahuku names is they're usually a family. So mm. at least for the people in Hawaii, we've heard that name for a very long time. So for some of the names, it comes just by familiarity, which is always a nice thing about being here for a while. My issue when it comes to the Hawaii football roster are like some of the more regular names. Mm. I never knew it was Jamai Otis. Really? I always thought it was jammy. Mm. For some reason, that one never really – never like got to me until like last week.
1: I mean the other one was uh, not Najee Bryant-Lalee. It's Lale
2: Yeah. That one we should all have down Yeah, because we've all seen Lalee. Yeah. We all know Ashley Lalee. Yeah. We all see how that's spelled. I think spelled.
1: we're tempted to say Lalee because of Ashley's greatness. Right. It's but. like how
2: people say Le Le Hua. Mm. Le, le Hua. Yeah. It's, It sounds really weird, but I was trying to really emphasize
1: it because it's L-E-I-L-E. Just like we know it's the like-like highway. Of of course. course.
2: It's the like-like highway.
1: I don't know how else you would pronounce it. And Iwa Beach, of course.
2: I love Iwa Beach this time of year. Uh, Tanner here with Hunter Hughes. uh, We promise we actually know how to say all that stuff right. Kamehameha. (laughs) ha This is Off the Bench on ESPN (laughs) Honolulu. We got a traffic uh, coming up here. We'll see you on the other side of this break. A Thursday version of this song. Yeah. Thursday. Thursday. It's all right. <laughs> I at least that's what I say whenever it's uh, Thursday. Mm-hmm. It's all right. Uh, Tanner Harris and Hunter Hughes. This is off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. We just got finished talking with Ross Tucker. Uh, he's going to be the analyst for the Westwood One national broadcast of the Hawaii. Uh, I was going to say Hawaii, Nevada. Hawaii Vanderbilt game. <laughs> uh, we play him uh, later in the I, year. I hope. I hope. You know, it turns out like it is a Hawaii Nevada game, but obviously we all know it's not going to be. Never know. Like that. Hey, true. You never
1: know. AJ Swan is not as mobile I've got as Tanner across from me. I don't have Josh today. Okay, hey. I don't want that pessimism from the other side of the table.
2: Hey, then don't read. Uh, I had actually had done a talk with one of the uh, uh, student writers at the Vanderbilt uh student paper. Okay. I think called the Vandy hustlers. And you know, I had to be. Realistic. And I did give them like 42-25. Okay. Which, by the way, I believe would cover the spread. Because I think we're uh, 17 and a 17.5 point underdogs. Yep. And I feel like when you're going into a game like this, into a team that absolutely killed us last year yep. a little bit, they had 400 yards rushing. Yep. Whenever you have 400 yards rushing on a team... It doesn't bode well for you. does not bode well. No.
1: It, but Mathematically you lose those games. Um, now, 25, I'm okay with for us. I think a realistic goal and expectation for the entire season for us is one score a quarter. Everybody say it with me. One score, score a quarter, quarter, which would equal 28 points a game. If we can be somewhere around that mark, if you look at last year in the, the point totals for the games that we lost – the the opposing team hardly ever even got to twenty eight points. If we got to that mark, that seriously, I I really feel like at least
2: in the Mountain West, not the non
1: conference. I'm I'm talking I'm talking specifically about conferences, yeah. like uh, our conference matchups and what we can expect from the run and shoot this season. I would love if we could try to get one score a quarter. It it shrinks our our um. Our expectations it keeps it realistic and that's something reasonable to shoot for. It's attainable. Attainable, great word. I, I I think that that is very attainable in Timmy's first year in the run and shoot.
2: Right. You you don't go to the gym for the first day and you don't just put five hundred on the leg press. You know you got to work up to it.
1: Not if you want to blow your knees out.
2: True. I don't. I'm not sure anyone wants to attain that goal. Whew. It'd be an interesting goal to try to attain, to try to blow your knees out. Yeah, that that I don't never, think there's any positives for that.
1: That, that never, I, I never was tempted to like put a ton of weight on the the leg press well, machine or something like my that. My thing
2: is this: as a bigger guy, yeah, like my lower body is significantly stronger than my upper body. Okay, I don't know what my max is. I haven't worked out, in, like I will say, a, a while. Okay, I'm trying to. Change that now okay. that I'm in person for a lot of my classes this semester, but <laughs> you know, back to the, you know the topic at hand. Uh, the one score a quarter is super attainable, especially when you think about an offense like the run and shoot, where it you try to score basically as much as you possibly can. Mm. And I think about something that Ross was bringing up, and when you want to see, you know, this year have the run and shoot much like how Timmy Chang's run and shoot was when he was the quarterback. I'll say this. I think for the Hawaii team that we have this year, this will be the most balanced run-and-shoot offense I think Hawaii has ever seen. Mm. Because our best uh, weapon right now on offense is obviously Tylen Hines. Hines. We want to get the ball in his hands as much as possible. This will be the most run-and-shoot team mm-hmm. I think we'll be seeing in a very long time.
1: Maybe. I, I don't know if we're going to utilize him solely in the running back position. He True. has lined up in the slot a great deal during fall camp and has actually done a really good job, in my opinion, adapting to running routes, um, identifying coverages, sitting in space, sitting in pockets. Um, they're going to bounce him around a little bit. Um, I, I do like that call, but I, I do think we're going to incorporate him in the past much more than we think. Well,
2: I also think about a guy like Tylen Hines. If you have him sitting down in a pocket of a zone all you have to do is throw low to Tylen, and I think Tylen Hines is the only person that can catch that ball because he's already you know so low to the ground. Just throw at his feet, and you pretty much have a guaranteed completion every single time.
1: Uh, it's not a bad call. Speaking of solo, ooh,
2: how was solo? That? How was that? Wearing zero?
1: Uh huh. I think he's gonna exactly, be incorporated in the running game. Exactly
2: much Exactly what we wanted a couple of years ago. Years, a couple of weeks ago. Yep. I'm so hyped. To see solo. We were
1: on that way before everybody else. Oh,
2: I'm so excited. Yeah.
1: Because I can only, I just think of the. I texted you when he put Logan Taylor on the ground with a juke move.
2: I remember that because I was, it was, it was like during three the weeks morning ago. show. It was during the morning show when I was doing it with uh, Chris. Yeah. And I had to, re- and I had the liberty to report it to everyone yeah. about what the information that you had given me. And I was there on that Saturday scrimmage before that where he had the ten yard run for a first down, both sides of the sidelines erupting. I'm sure it was even louder when that happened.
1: Oh, it, it almost ended practice. And Timmy yelled out, Logan, we'll never forget that.
2: I mean, how much of that is more of a lesson for Logan? To not get juked out by the offensive linemen.
1: Don't don't dive early, man. Come on. Anybody wrap up. anybody can get got.
2: <laughs> and I just think about the why I'm so excited about it is I just think of all of the possibilities like for the formations because especially yeah. if you go hurry up offense if Solo can do that uh you know you know prayers up to his cardiovascular system yeah. there but you could be switching Tylen and Solo in and out from wide receiver and running back interchangeably and just change that and you don't have to go to the sidelines for um for any adjustments and so that won't allow the defense to make any adjustments as well
1: my my thought actually my worry goes towards Coach Timmy mm. as the play caller and the orchestrator of timeouts, all that kind of stuff. It's a lot to manage.
2: And I think that was one thing that I, a lot of people wanted to see from last year is to see how he manages the timeouts when he wasn't doing any play calling. Mm. Now, like you said, play calling it's and tough. managing timeouts and managing adjustments. It's going to be a lot, but that's what these non-conference games are for. Um, it, we're probably not going to win this game. It'll be cool if we do. Mm. But it's about what you can take away from a game like this where the odds are so stacked against you. And, look, this isn't even the hardest game at our non-conference. That's no. that's the scariest thing. And I just hope that, you know, we just come back healthy. And we have lessons to learn from this game. And we put that towards a pretty manageable Mountain West schedule. Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. We got the traffic here and then SportsCenter right after this. Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Tanner Hayworth alongside Hunter Hughes. I really feel like when I hear this song, I think of what Giannis Antetokounmpo wants to feel with the Milwaukee Bucks.
1: His dreams come
2: true. He wants his dreams to come true, and you know, technically, his dream already kind of came true. He's got the MVPs, he's got the NBA championship as well, but he wants more. He wants another championship, and according to a report from ESPN, he's not feeling it, or at least he isn't. He isn't willing to re-sign for a max extension. Until he's comfortable knowing that the organization will continue to compete for a championship. Mm. To which I then ask the question to you off air. What else do the Milwaukee Bucks need to do? Like they re-signed Brooke Lopez. They re-signed Chris Middleton. They signed Jay Crowder and Malik Beasley. I know they're not like LeBron James and Chris Bosh for the Miami Heat in 2012. But they're still good role players. And their new head coach, Adrian Griffin, he has some experience with the Toronto Raptors uh, five years there. So he was there for the ring with Kawhi Leonard. So is this just Giannis overreacting? Or is there some kind of sentiment behind all of this for Giannis? What do you think? So, yeah,
1: I kind of feel like if you got two MVPs and you got a championship for the Milwaukee Bucks— That's as good as it's going to get. Right. I I, I don't know if you can really expect, if you want to call them a mid-major in the NBA. A small market. A small market, but it's basically the same thing, right? Right. Uh, You're not talking about the Knicks, the Bulls, the Clippers, the The Lakers, Lakers. um, Golden State, Boston, these huge market franchises. You're talking about the Milwaukee Bucks here, which growing up— outside of Chicago, we would go watch Michael Jordan in Milwaukee because it was cheaper to go watch him up there than to watch a home game at the United Center. So I'm just sharing because they're a smaller, cheaper market team. They're giving him everything that they have right here. I I get that he wants to make the most of his time, but if you're wanting to win... Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of split here. One, the East is vulnerable. The East is very vulnerable. If um, you have Middleton, you have Drew Holiday, you've got Brook Lopez coming back, and you have uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, they have a chance to win the East in my mind. Like outside of the Celtics, your team, and the whoever hate. Miami can come up with, right. like those are the three. Especially with the chaos going on with the 76ers right now. No, nobody else is, is poised to win right now more than the Milwaukee Bucks. So I feel like these comments from him, although I kind of understand it, are a little premature. What else do you want them to do? You guys are poised to win the East. And this is the thing. I
2: wouldn't have taken much issue with this if they were like going into the playoffs as like the fourth seed. Because we always have these lofty expectations of the Milwaukee Bucks just because of Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez. We know how good they can be. So if the last two years they were like the fourth seed, then I would understand Milwaukee's or Giannis's frustration with Milwaukee. Um, they were the number one seed last year. Mm. And they lost to the Miami Heat. By the way, the only game they won was was the only game Giannis didn't play in, like, for major minutes. Yeah. So, when I think about that, part of me thinks, okay, what's the issue here? Is it Giannis with the team, or is Giannis the main issue here? Which feels weird. Because he's like the nicest of all of the superstars. <laughs> you only hear good things about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, he's a good guy. But the only times he ever comes out with something like this is in this situation. And then a couple of years ago when Jason Kidd used to be the head coach. Oh, yeah. And then he got fired. Giannis was devastated By the firing of Jason Kidd, Mm. and then you know they get better. I I I think is that when uh, Mike Budenholzer comes in, basically. I think so. So then Mike Budenholzer comes in. He gets two MVPs, and he gets a
1: championship.
2: But Jason Kidd, mind you, kind of laid the foundation of putting Giannis in that point guard position. Mm. Like, do you remember when that was first happening? Where. Giannis started playing point guard, being a main ball handler, and he was euro-stepping from, like, the top of the key. Yes. And it was insane. And he kind of unlocked that for him. So I understand why he'd be frustrated in that situation.
1: Giannis can literally do a right-handed layup from the three-point line. He's He is the he Greek ta- freak. He can take two steps from the three-point line and lay it into the hoop. Right. It's incredible.
2: So maybe it's him overreacting again because he has another new head coach moving on from Budenholzer going to Adrian Griffin, kind of kind of an unknown, kind of like when Darvin Ham took over last year for the Lakers. They still go all the way to the Western Conference Finals, yeah. but there was a lot of questions into that offseason about whether or not Darvin Ham could coach around LeBron James and Anthony Davis. A lot of the questions are probably going to stay the same for Adrian Griffin as he tries to coach up Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I look at the roster right now. Of course, we all know Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Giannis. Uh, they, they have Grayson Allen. I forgot oh, yeah. that he's there. Um, I mean, the after Duke that. The demon. Right? They have, you know, as a depth guy, you know. Also, Bobby Portis, yep. who right now is doing his thing for U.S., uh, Men's basketball, Mm. as they're one of like, yeah, as they're one of like three centers that exist out of the U.S. Well, but this team isn't that bad. No,
1: that that's exactly my point. And look at the matchups. If you you consider who's going to come out of the West, if Golden State can't find you know find a way to put it together with the additions, if Phoenix can't put it together, if the Lakers can't put it together, the in my mind still. The best teams from the West right now are the champs. Are the Denver Nuggets? Who better to go up against Jokic than Giannis? Right. Who and better? Of course, maybe Jokic, Embiid, but that's it. I and
2: mean, then Jokic only got his first MVP because people were tired of voting for Giannis. Let's not forget. Yep. Joel Embiid gets that MVP. Because everyone's too uh, like tired, tired of, of Jokic. voting for Jokic, so it's a they're both in that same situation where th- both of them should have three MVPs, but it's kind of a paradox if you think about it like that. Giannis is the best player in the NBA when he is hot, when he yeah, and not hurt because that is also an issue where he gets some nicks here and there,
1: and he doesn't have to go to the free throw line.
2: That's sh- that too.
1: If they don't pack the um. If they don't pack the key and put three on him and physically keep him from going to the hoop, good luck guarding him one-on-one. Right. He'll go right through you.
2: But do you think he looks at all of these other teams with these massive blockbuster trades where they're just sending off first, like, eight years down the line for, like, a big player? Does he want that? Because, in my opinion, the only way for the Milwaukee Bucks to really improve their roster— is only by trading for some kind of big-time center to replace Brook Lopez, which, in my opinion, doesn't really need to happen because Mm -hmm. I'm probably one of the bigger, like, Brook Lopez fans. Like, defensively, he is a beast if you look into the advanced statistics. Uh, But I got laughed at for saying that once by Kanoa Leahy, Ned, and all (laughs) those guys. But... I just don't see what you can do to this team to really improve it other than maybe like another big uh 3 to play alongside or another big 4 kind of guy to play alongside but after that I just don't know who that is and who's willing to be trading a player like that My like is only... it Bam Adebayo is yeah. it is it um what's his name the center in Phoenix I can't remember
1: DeAndre Ayton, Ayton. But- I no, I I think uh, you know, we might actually be looking at this from the wrong the wrong angle. In the comment he also mentioned guys on the team and their lack of commitment, not sacrificing time away from their families. So I almost wonder if this isn't so much a message to the front office as it's a message to specific guys on this team where They might have thought of Giannis as a mainstay for the Milwaukee Bucks, And, man, we can hitch our wagon to that horse all day long. But he's not going to stick around if that same level of commitment isn't felt from the rest of the team. So I think he's actually making a shot at a couple of guys on the roster.
2: And then here's the direct quote that uh, Hunter's referencing. Uh, This is from Giannis in a talk with the— with the New York Times where he says, I would not be the best version of myself if I don't know that everybody's on the same page, everybody's going for a championship, everybody's going to sacrifice time away from their family like I do. And if I don't feel that, I'm not signing. And so you're very much right in that first I didn't see the quote, so sorry. I'm not a very good diligent reader at that point. But I I just that makes you wonder who that person or who those people are. Because is now is there now drama within this team that you think is so tight? Because mm. they re, do re-sign Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez. Is it one of those guys? Chris has been away from the team for quite a while. Due I think to it injury. has to be. It, it, I think it has I can't to be see Middleton. Drew Holiday
1: and it's not Grayson Allen. You can go on Lethal Shooter's Instagram and see how much time that guy spends in the gym shooting Look, with that guy.
2: Grayson Allen, if you if you are a dirty player, that means you really do care about winning. That's right. So you could really that's what you can say about Grayson Allen that he really wants to win the game.
1: And he's tough. <laughs> he's been that way since college.
2: Right. And it's a real what's the word I'm here looking for here. It's a real just like conundrum for the Milwaukee Bucks and their fans cuz now it's another couple of years. I feel like the last like 2 years every single offseason has just been rife with but will Giannis come back? Mm. What can they do to make Giannis come back? Maybe they want global warming to hit faster so that Milwaukee can get warmer. Maybe that will help Giannis stay in Milwaukee. Who knows? I just – that's what I have an issue with for a guy that I don't normally have issues with. Because even if he has issues with his free throw shot, we know he practices unlike Ben Simmons who probably practices. Yeah. But – We see almost no improvement, at least on that. 808-296-1420 is the number we can call or text us. Um, A lot of stuff, I think, just going on. When I think about the NFL, we're about, what, a week away, two weeks away technically from the NFL regular season. And we are uh, finishing up watching the Eagles and Colts game. Uh, Of course, no one's really watching. After the first half?
1: No. <laughs> um,
2: I was mostly watching for my GOAT, Richardson. Anthony Richardson, who you know had some moments here and there where he lost the ball in the middle of his throw because he was putting a little too much zip on it. And then in two passes later, he has an absolutely perfect dime to a wide receiver, and it just perfectly just goes through that little circle that he's trying to catch the hands. ball with. <laughs> I'm just excited for the season to start already. And I just think about a lot of these divisions here. And, of course, perfectly brought up on this graphic is the NFC East, a division that has not had a repeat championship winner since 2005. Since 2005, a different team has won the NFC East every single year. And, of course, as we all know, last year the Eagles were the division winners for the NFC East. And I was talking to this – I was talking – to you about this a little bit off the air, but I watched a lot of the Washington Commanders game last week because I wanted to watch Baltimore, Mm because I wanted to watch Zay Flowers. But what I saw from Sam Howell has got me cooking in my brain, in my little take brain. Let him cook. I genuinely think the Giants and the Commanders have the same amount of chance of being number one and number two in that division as much as the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys. Wow. I think the lows of the Commanders and the Giants are much lower than the Cowboys or the Eagles. Yes. But if everything works out perfectly, which obviously it won't, Yeah. but both of those teams, the Giants and the Commanders... It's
1: a well-balanced division.
2: They have paths to be... To win that division.
1: Other than the AFC East, I would say the NFC East is the most equal competition um, division in all of football. Where we thought it was the AFC West last year. Right. It's not. No. It's the AFC East.
2: And this is the fun thing about the uh, NFC East and the Philadelphia Eagles. We can talk about how good they were last year. Um, In their undefeated stretch... They weren't really playing good teams. Hmm. And amid that stretch, as good as that pass rush that defense had, running the ball, they weren't that great against the rush. And they were kind of exposed multiple times, at least especially in the Super Bowl. That defense was exposed multiple times. And what did they do in this offseason? They lost a lot of guys. They lost both of their starting linebackers. They lose a pass rusher. They they unfortunate. They fortunately keep their secondary, but they lose C.J. Gardner Johnson, a guy who's very physical, a trash talker. You love to always have him on your team. You hate him if you're going against him. And they're hoping a lot of the young guys step up, like a Jalen Carter, uh, Jordan Davis, um, the other Georgia pass rusher whose name is escaping me, Nolan Smith, mm. uh, Nicobe Dean, another Georgia defensive player. They're hoping to st- uh, step up for them. But I think that's a lot of pressure to be putting a lot on a lot of these young players to kind of keep up how great that defense was last year. Mm. And because of that, My, like, feeling on the Eagles is very, eh. Like, they could be really good, but they also could, like, win seven, eight games if things go the wrong direction. It's weird. And I don't get why I have that vibe, but something is telling me that there's something up with the Eagles that's not, like, obviously there. But the vibes just aren't right with me to say that they'll be the best team in the NFC again.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Or at least the NFC East. Like we said, the Cowboys, amazing defense. But is Dak Prescott going to be that, what, 15 pick? Was it 15 picks last year? <laughs> it was something crazy. It's no and then J- he guaranteed it's no, it's to no the J- media
1: that he'll throw less picks this year and yeah. then went out and threw a pick that day at practice.
2: He has not looked good in fall camp. No. He threw up, like, a Hail Mary, like, deep pass to, like, a five seven running back that was double-covered. It definitely does not make you feel good if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan. Uh, Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes taking you through the afternoon. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, We'll catch you right after this break. Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Hey, Hunter, just so you know. I would never give you up. Thank you. I just feel like you needed to know that. Man, I needed,
1: I needed that today. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Uh, we have the m Global scoreboard brought to you by m Global. Always on the move. A lot of high score in baseball going on today. I'll highlight it with my favorite team, the Red Sox. <laughs> 17-1 to on the Houston Astros. It was 11 nothing in the third inning, by the way. Dang. So they get one win closer to that third wild card spot. Other notable games: the Nationals uh, get another win over the Yankees, six to five. I love the sound of that. Uh, the Rays win five to three over the Rockies. Dodgers uh, win their first game of the doubleheader, nine to three. Or no, actually no, that is their one game. Sorry, it showed a score from Wednesday too, mm. so that confused me. The Orioles get the five to three victory over the Blue Jays, further cementing their lead in the AL East. The Cubbies five to four over the Pirates. Twins get a seven to five win over the Rangers. Rangers have lost seven in a row. So that's Dang. awesome for all the uh, Seattle Mariners fans out there. And the Athletics, they won against the Chicago White Sox. That's got to be sad. <laughs> but and For the White Sox. For the White Sox, for sure. And in the bottom of the fifth right now, the Reds and the Diamondbacks, they are stuck at nothing. Uh, but, yeah, that's the bottom of the fifth. That is your M. Dire Global scoreboard brought to you by M. Dire Global. Always on the move. And I know a lot of people uh, – hate when they say this but the wild card race it sure is getting close now yeah we're only what like 50 games left in the season it's Mm -hmm. really hard to keep track of i feel like when it comes to the exact number but i know for me i'm personally watching the wild card spot very closely as a boston red sox fan i'm just hoping we kind of sneak in there but there is certainly um A lot to look forward to because I think of the San Francisco Giants as well. They're kind of battling for that last card spot too with the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds. Could you believe – would anyone believe that if you said that to them in the beginning of this year, that the Chicago Cubs and the Cincinnati Reds both hold a game lead on the San Francisco Giants for the last wild card spot? Love it. The Cubbies have looked absolutely amazing since – the uh, caught all-star fire. break.
1: They've caught fire, man. I love it. It's
2: super awesome. There was the last night's doubleheader for the Cincinnati Reds and the LA Angels where Ellie De La Cruz had that six RBI game and in a break, of uh, there was that really cute moment between him and Shohei Otani mm. where he walks up to Shohei and just pokes him to see if he was see actually real. <laughs> I love Ellie, man. I can't he's wait to see him. He's good for the game. I can't wait to he's, see him.
1: He's kind of a new version of Puig. Well, you know who he is? Uh, we haven't seen him
2: at all this year because he's been hurt. O'Neal Cruz for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's right. He and Ellie De La Cruz are legit exactly the same person. They're very they're similar. And it's very really similar. weird because they're both huge, they're both fast, they're both dreadlocks. absolute dreadlocks, they're both absolute powerhouses with the bat in their hands. It's just that O'Neal Cruz has been hurt this entire year, so everyone's kind of forgotten about him. It's going to be amazing to see what the season will look like at least next year with both Ellie and O'Neill, and especially a lot of the really great prospects that are making their way up. Bobby Witt's having an absolute great year. Too bad he's on the Kansas City Royals. Uh, we got SportsCenter coming up after this. This is Tanner here with Hunter Hughes. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. <laughs> Off the bench on ESPN, Honolulu Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes taking you through the afternoon. You know what's something that's super underrated these days? Apologies. An
1: apology, a heart a, and a heartfelt a, one of that.
2: Oh, very much so. And this is the thing. So what you all just heard was Ryan Clark's apology. He had made a joke about Tua's weight and his uh, appearance hi- and his like work ethic. Uh, and Tua had taken you know great offense to that. He basically said, "Hey." Keep my name out your mouth. Yep. And shout out to Ryan Clark because I will say, when it happened, I was really surprised that Ryan Clark had said that.
1: Totally. And but- Josh and I talked about this at length yesterday. Right. He was on the side of – he didn't feel like Ryan Clark needed to apologize. But then I was like, OK, if you're going to make fun of someone, make sure that they're there. For them to rebuttal back to that they can be included in the joke right that the timing and the way that it came off I wasn't a fan of and I don't I didn't I didn't uh, blame Tua at all for coming to his own defense um, th- there could have been a way that he maybe diffused it a little bit um as you know a professional and how you want to perceive yourself in um in the media, but, I still felt like Ryan was in the wrong here, and that I'm I'm stoked that he came forward and was big enough to apologize. And that's the thing; I
2: expected an apology to come through because I do respect a lot of what Ryan Clark does. Always have to say he is one of those NFL Live ESPN people. I have a lot of respect for those NFL Live guys. You know him. Dan Orlovsky, Marcus Spears, Mina Kimes. I think they have an amazing show that they do Mm -hmm. every single day. They're probably some of the most like informed and just like they analyze the game to such a great extent. I look forward to it every single day if I can watch it. I always Mm -hmm. try to you know watch it as much as possible. And this is the thing, I can see Ryan Clark's perspective because it's kind of like one of the the locker room kind of jokes sure. and you can tell that Marcus Spears and Dan Orlovsky obviously didn't see any issue in it because they're all just trying to have fun. They're in a studio all day long. If they can get a laugh in with each other, they're yep. going to get a laugh in with each other. Yep. And that I completely understand that and with how Tua took it with how the Miami Dolphins fans took it, it
1: was obvious that something needed to be said. And the, that's the the tricky thing right now is we're two weeks away from the start of the NFL season, and that's the thing is all of these fan bases are literally foaming <laughs> at the mouth for anything football-related because it's dangling in front of us. It It is – we are – we can smell it. I think of that that scene from Family Guy where the the pie is oh, is on the window, <laughs> and the, the you know what I'm talking about. The, I the, know
2: exactly what you're talking about. The, and the, the I know aroma, how-
1: the aroma of the pie is like just like intensely going after Peter and like that's what the NFL season is doing to all of us from a fantasy perspective from a, a hopes and dreams of whatever team you root for um the the season is is beckoning it's it's calling to us like sirens to odysseus in the odyssey like there's a there's a literacy a, a literature one for everyone out there and because you, you crack a joke at a fan base's prized quarterback that they were worried that they weren't going to get him back last year after that injury. And they're, they're trying to get excited for the season. And, oh, my goodness, this comment's coming out of left field. Hey, you don't say that.
2: Well, this is the thing. I also think that with how Tua's career has gone on, he was he's always really quiet. He's mm. super private. And he makes a point to everyone that what he keeps in his private life, he wants to keep to his private life. Remember last year when someone asked about his wedding mm. and he was like, hey, man, I I That's told right. no one about that. That was private. What's, what's wrong with you? And I just think – that's why Miami fans are so rabid over Tua is because for the first two years of his career, he basically had to battle his head coach uh, to make sure that he could even get on the field or even have anything offensively to do. And I think about Tuanon. That's the whole reason why Tuanon was created on Twitter. Hmm. The uh, Twitter page that you know has the joke, they're like the anonymous uh, for Tua um, – because Tua doesn't really tr- go out there and try to defend himself on Twitter because he's not usually on it yeah. unless he's, you know, uh marketing like a fundraiser or a-, a luau that he always does in Miami every single year. And so the fan base wants to protect their guy. Yep. It's like whenever a UNLV fan ever says anything and every single fan base is like why are you talking, UNLV football fan? Yep. And everyone goes rabbit over it, especially in the offseason, because we all want football to start already, and a lot of these kind of faux arguments that don't even really exist in real life just are so wild. And you're like, Why are you even saying that? Yeah. Why are you questioning Tua Tongmailoa's work ethic in the offseason when we've been preaching for months about how he needs to gain weight so that he doesn't get injured as often. And then you're like, oh yeah. <laughs> He's looking a little thick. It's like, of course he is. That's been the whole point of this offseason.
1: Yep. <laughs> to, to to gain weight, to keep him from being hip checked like in a WWE ring.
2: I mean to quote Tua, he doesn't even want to play that big. But he Th- has to right. play that and,
1: big. You know I broke I I, I broke this down to Josh uh, off the air a little bit yesterday. You played football. Right. I played football. Okay? You will never, ever, ever, ever catch me critiquing the body of a cornerback, a safety, a linebacker, a D lineman, an offensive lineman, a running back, a wide receiver, any position other than the one that I played. You know why? Because I didn't play their position. I can't critique their body type from their, um, their attempt at playing their subsequent position at the highest level that they're trying to do it. That, to me, was the issue that I had with Ryan Clark here. Ryan never played quarterback. How do you know that Tua can't spin at 75 yards with that, that new body right now because he's got more mass behind the ball? How do you know that he actually doesn't still have speed in those legs? just be because he's a little thicker? Like it, yes, again, it was a joke. I, I think in culture we take jokes out of context and blow them way out of proportion. I think right. that that's what it was intended to be. but the the packaging that it came from, I think was the issue here. And again, i'm I'm thankful that he apologized.
2: right. And much like to your what you were just saying, just because someone looks a certain way doesn't mean that they're going to play bad. I think about. Ben the, Roethlisberger
1: has two Super Bowls.
2: Yeah, and he was Ryan Clark's teammate. And he was huge. And he, he commented about that on, he was, on Twitter. He said
1: Big Ben was functional. He had a dad bod for forever.
2: And like I'm saying, just because you're bigger doesn't make you bad. I think about a couple of weeks ago. We all went crazy, college football fans. I, I say that in the uh, that kind of we. Over this TCU freshman. Have you seen this photo of this guy? Oh, yeah. The 455-pound yes. freshman. Yeah. Dude is big, massive. Big, big. And he's... I, at least I've watched a couple of his clips of 1v1s. He's not that bad with it because this is the thing.
1: What was the massive dude on Georgia's name? Was it a Jordan Davis. Jordan Davis. Who's on the Philadelphia Eagles right now. He makes Jordan Davis look small.
2: If anyone wants to look it up, I think all you need to do is go on Google Images and just look
1: up TCU offensive lineman. Or big freshman.
2: You'll see him. And there is no mistaking that this this man is. I think if, if you looked out
1: your window, you could see him. I mean, this dude off was playing, the distance. This
2: dude was playing 450 pounds as a 18 year old.
1: Golly, and actually has some skill. Yeah, he's I, good. I watched a uh, like a Max Preps thing of his huddle. The dude is throwing people around. Normally, once you eclipse like that 350, like 360 mark, it's tough to move. Right. And I'm sure he will lose some weight once you get to TCU. You get in that D1 environment, they'll help cut him, excuse me, cut him down a little bit. Um, but it's it, it was surprising how well he could move. And as an offensive lineman, like loved his footwork, loved his hands, and he's strong.
2: One guy I think about, Mackay Becton, the offensive tackle for the Jets, when he was in uh, Louisville, he was also pretty big. He was in that 350, 400 pound range. Dude was running down the field on poles. Yikes. He was ultra-athletic. It's sad that he's kind of had some injury issues the last couple of years in the NFL because in his first two years in the NFL, he was playing very well for the Jets. And hopefully Aaron Rodgers will be seeing a lot of uh, Mekhi Becton's backside uh, for much of the season because <laughs> he does play right tackle for them. Uh, but Just hopefully not too thing.
1: close because, you know, the Jets have history with uh, – Quarterbacks running into the backside of their. <laughs> yeah, don't offensive don't linemen. look at
2: his rear end too quick, yeah. too closely
1: there. Get Aaron. another butt fumble. But like we said, shout y- out to Mark Sanchez.
2: Like you said, it's just weird to quote Tua. It's just weird how he feels like. I also do love when he said the. You know, I grew up in a. You know, Samoan heritage. Totally. Respect is everything. Well, we can get
1: scrappy too. Hundred percent. And
2: then afterwards, now in all the fa- all the uh, camp, uh, you know, he's signing autographs. And I just there's a video someone's shouting at him, being like, "Hey, Tua, we get scrappy, yeah." Yeah. like, "Yeah, we can get
1: scrappy." Uh huh.
2: <laughs> so who knows? Maybe that's a new uh, motto shirt. Maybe that's we all Tua's. know that
1: out here, man. Maybe that's Tua's scrappy like, Scrap, you like huh? that. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: We ca- I can't wait to see uh, Tua get scrappy with and another the, defensive the, the ta- back this year. The
1: tattoo line I felt was... It was so weird. Weird and culturally insensitive. Right. Saying that he spent more time in tattoo parlors than he did in a gym. Like, w- what are you talking about, dude? And it like, probably only took one day to get that tattoo accomplished.
2: And, like... It's not like Ryan Clark has never played with any Polynesian players in his career. I, I, would, I would I would think that he would have some idea of like the significance of a lot of these tattoos. I mean, if Rich Hill can know about the significance of these tattoos, Ryan Clark, I think you can learn something hey, R- from Ryan, Rich. Hill.
1: Ryan Clark is uh benefiting from NFL Live. Right. Uh kind of growing in popularity. Right. Again, because NFL is Beckoning, it's oh, oh, call NFL. Okay. Um However, you need to be careful when the cameras are on and the mics are rolling, because this has aged poorly for him.
2: Very much, so. and you know, and like we said, shout out to him stepping up yep. and
1: saying, I give him credit. Not everybody would do that,
2: right? And. I think everyone's done a great job with it too. Dan Orlovsky said a couple of good things as well. Uh, there's definitely a lot we want to talk about too. We this we were planning for this to be talking about fantasy football, but we were gifted with a great uh, uh, sound bite. Thank you, Josh, for loading those in. Thanks, we appreciate you. Of course. He's not here, by the way. I'm filling in for Josh Pacheco because we have UH Wahine Soccer coming up at around 645 will be the start of that broadcast as they take on Sacramento State. They have about six or seven uh, players from Hawaii there as well. So it'll be a nice kind of homecoming uh, for those players Mm. from Sacramento State as well. And this is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu, by the way. ESPN Honolulu and hi TV will bring you the Timmy Chang show this Wednesday at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday, Moanalua. You can join John Veneri and Coach Chang for an hour of UH football talk. You can either join us in person or check it out on the radio or ESPN Honolulu's social media. And when it's all done, you can watch the encore performance the next day on hi TV. You know... It's the Timmy Chang show because too many people were texting it. <laughs> and you can't really call it Text a Coach because nope. that doesn't sound as fun. No. Nope. But that's the Timmy Chang show here on ESPN Honolulu, or you can watch it on K High TV. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. On. Hey, no.
0: Hey, no. Hey, no. We
1: never knew how to fall But we always knew how to fit.
2: This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Tanner here with, alongside Hunter Hughes, taking you through your Thursday drive. I I was right. That was very scary to, like, cold, like, say the day without thinking about it. I didn't want to be wrong. (laughs) I almost heard the... That basically what happened to me in my brain. When I was like, (laughs) Thursday? Yeah. Uh, There was a really awesome announcement happened. I think this was either earlier today or late yesterday where the LA Lakers are announcing that on February 8th next year or on 8 2024 basically in February, they'll be unveiling the Kobe Bryant statue outside of Crypto.com Arena. Mm. And that day's game after that was announced, that is the Lakers versus the Nuggets. So that's also a rematch against the uh, – that's the Western Conference Finals rematch. And now it is the most expensive ticket of the NBA season. Dang. Where Already? The, the uh, nosebleeds, one seat is going for $414 for the back row, the, the tallest row in the nosebleeds.
1: 400 bucks. 400 bucks. Jeez.
2: So that'll probably get more and more and more expensive as we get closer to the day. Uh, I I would love to see what that $414 looks like in like five years ago, if that makes sense. I want to see how much inflation has affected that $414. Because I feel like if you said that and you thought about that day, you're like, oh, well, it doesn't seem that bad. But I feel like if you thought about it like pre-inflation numbers, I feel like that number has got to be huge. Well, to
1: to give you an idea, uh, me and my brother, my two brothers and my dad, we went to to the Western Conference Finals in Oklahoma City when uh, they played the Spurs. Right. Uh, This would have been, I think this was like 2015, something like that. Right. 2015 or 2016. And... uh, I believe those were like 50 a ticket for nosebleeds. For a playoff game. No, and we're talking Western Conference Finals here. Like, as big as it gets. And it was like 50, 50 a person for uh, nosebleeds. And, I mean, we were we were touching the wall, okay? <laughs> we, we were as high up as you could get. So, I don't know if... It, it's tough to relate to the Lakers. It's tough True. to relate um, playoff to non-playoff. But that's... It's close.
2: Well, year after year, the Lakers just seem to get the expensive tickets. Because, of course, all of last year was LeBron chasing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record. So every single game in that one stretch was probably hella expensive. And now you have February 8th, 2024, where that, as we already see, is already this expensive. And as we all know, you get closer to the game, the more expensive it gets. Mm. Uh, I cannot imagine how high that price gets by, like, February 1st. Man. Because that could probably double. Could you imagine paying $800 to sit in, like, nosebleeds no, that, that's, with your friend?
1: And for the unveiling of a statue that's going to be there for forever, I'm selling those tickets.
2: Well, you're. Well, the, this is the thing, though. If you go there, they probably have one of those um, – they, they'll probably have, like, a shirt. Because I remember – was it when yeah. Kobe retired? And they had the special – uh Kobe jerseys that were 8 on one side and 24 on the other
1: everybody had one and
2: everyone got one
1: that that was in attendance i think so wow I,
2: that i could be lying though that could just be like a special
1: subset of people and maybe just uh, could have been nice shirts like the low level sections
2: could have been i could be totally wrong i T- don't
1: 10 grand for that jersey cuz that's how much it costed for you to sit in that lower section pretty
2: much Golly. so then you just wait out for someone to like
1: sell it on eBay or something now I will say this, okay? I've I've never flown I've never flown first class before. I, um, I don't know if I've stayed at a five star hotel, but I have sat courtside at an NBA game one time. Mm. A guy at our church, uh, back in Chicago, he gave them to me for my birthday. Dang! And it was awesome. And at the time, that would have been twenty ten, Derrick Rose era. So him, Luol Deng, Kirk Heinrich, Noah, um, Joakim Noah, That so that team, um, I, I think, I forget who they played. I think they played, I want to say they played like the Hornets that night or something like that. So being, that's even
2: better. So you guarantee the win, basically. Yeah.
1: And like being that low, you, you, you have a completely different menu for food than everybody else. You have a completely different choice for drinks. And... Being that low, that close to these guys who are already massive, watching them in warm-ups, you have a completely different appreciation for their, their skill. It was right. amazing.
2: I cannot imagine. It was worth it. I can't imagine what it, what it was like watching Prime D. Rose, especially in person. Like that's got to be as close as you get to like a religious experience, like full-on like seeing God moment than watching Derrick Rose right there. Man. <sighs> I missed out on a lot being over here. It was dope. Yeah, all we get is uh, preseason games between the Clippers and the Jazz. <laughs> Where you might hope to see Kawhi Leonard maybe on the bench. Eh, who knows. Yeah. This is Tanner Hayworth and Hunter Hughes. This is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. We got a traffic and sports center coming up next. This is ESPN Honolulu. Off the bench on ESPN, Honolulu, Tanner Harris, and Hunter Hughes. Got you for at least 28 more minutes. Uh, We got a lot of stuff going on here. We wanted to talk a little bit because, look, like we said, we're two weeks away from the regular season, and that means, hey, man, I hope everyone got their office together cuz you got some fantasy football starting up here and i know our uh, league at ESPN Honolulu our league is starting up what next week i've already forgotten the day mhm uh, but definitely next week we're starting that draft up i'm i'm getting excited i got my own friends and families league starting up next week as well i mean i'm just i'm just ready for football to start man and looking at this is the fun thing about fantasy football is that it? It's like a different form of analysis than a football. I feel like fantasy football is the perfect, like, gateway for people to becoming statistic nerds. Hmm. And it's a perfect gateway if you're just starting to watch football for your way to just jump in and just learn who everyone is. Because you have to kind of learn who everyone is, what team they play for, who's throwing them the ball, who's coaching that guy, and whose offense are they running. Mm -hmm. And there's so many of those small little things that just kind of make fantasy football very fun. I think about this. Austin Eckler. He's like a good running back. He's having his issues with the uh, L.A. Chargers where he got – did he get franchise tagged or did he demand a trade?
1: No, I think, I think he He demanded got... a trade. Okay.
2: And then I think he called it off. I can't remember what's going on with Austin Eckler. But it's fair to say he's like a top 10 back, definitely not top 5, but he's pretty good. In fantasy, he's like running back 1. He is like
1: the best—the number 1 running back 2 draft. Funny how he has ascended the boards. Right. Where three years ago, he might have been top 10, maybe. And now they've got him slated over Christian McCaffrey. It's crazy. Well, so this is this is what makes fantasy football
2: awesome. Because you think about Austin Eckler, who's passing him the ball? It's Justin Herbert. Yep. Probably he is like one of the new new guards. He is that debatable? Is he top five? Is he not top five? Um, He has an amazing arm, but he's also always willing to pass it off to Austin Eckler because they've been playing with each other for both of their entire careers basically. You look at their new offensive coordinator, Kellen Moore. Think about what Kellen Moore did the last couple of years for guys like Ezekiel Elliott and especially a guy – like Tony Pollard, who kind of came out of nowhere last year because I know I drafted him as a flex guy last year. Mm-hmm. He will be drafted as a uh, your starting running back this year if you are a fantasy uh, team owner. That's a guy you always need to look out for is a Tony Pollard because he is a fast, shifty receiving back, much like Austin Eckler. And I just think that in a Kellen Moore offense where he's not being stopped by his own head coach, where his own head coach isn't telling him, hey, slow down. Yeah. Don't score more points. Yeah. Let our defense rest. Now Kellen Moore can be like, I can score as much as I need. And frankly, the Chargers kind of needed that in the playoffs last year. You know, they could only score up to 28 points in their (laughs) playoff run. Uh, But – I really love Austin Eckler too. What's
1: going on with Josh Jacobs? Is he? That is, is an interesting question. But like they haven't really reported on that at all. And the last I heard, like he's still waiting on his contract.
2: Yeah. So his whole issue is he's straight up holding out.
1: Yeah. And and I don't blame him. Yeah. He's being he absolute, won the rushing title he's last year. Being
2: absolutely disrespected by the L.A. Uh, Raiders, Ra- L.A. Raiders, Las LV Vegas Raiders. Raiders. And this is the thing. The most recent news about him is that the Dolphins tried to trade for him. Mm. This was only reported about a couple, like probably 12, 14 hours ago. But the Dolphins did try to trade for Josh Jacobs where the Raiders uh, said, nah, we're good. And the same thing happened with Jonathan Taylor and the Dolphins. They're trying to get a huge, good running back for Tua Tagovailoa in that offense. And whether it be a Josh Jacobs or a Jonathan Taylor – what matters is both of those guys need to be, you know, on a team. Yeah. Because that's the main issue with drafting these guys. Is that, unlike most guys from a couple of years ago, I think about Ezekiel Elliott a couple of years ago where he had a couple of games of suspension. And I had drafted Ezekiel Elliott, I think, in like the third round where he would normally be like a first or a second round guy. Yeah. And I stashed him for like three weeks. And when he came back, he was running back. He was an he was an absolute like touchdown getter and it was awesome to have him because I got to stash him and I had two running back ones basically mm. the thing about Josh Jacobs is I have no idea if the Las Vegas Raiders know. are going to get a any kind of decision done for Josh Jacobs
1: doesn't seem like there's any kind of urgency
2: no it really feels like there's none and according to like Uh, This is from NBC Sports six hours ago. Um, They heard nothing new. (laughs) Nothing new has come between the Raiders and Josh Jacobs. Which,
1: come on. It it always baffles me the um, laziness of the front offices Mm. of professional sports teams, specifically in the NFL right now. What else are you doing? What what else could you be doing right now, that you are biding your time with one of the? I mean, as of last year, the best rushing running back in football. Pay the man.
2: Was much like Jonathan Taylor, much like uh, Saquon Barkley. Pay these guys. They are the. They are the core
1: of these offenses without these running backs your offense doesn't work you think garoppolo can do it on his own no the only reason garoppolo has won any games is because he had a great running back come on it's it's absolute
2: it doesn't make sense it makes no sense it makes zero sense and by the way it's criminal due to the holdout josh jacobs right now kind of is viewed as running back 12 he is Usually around number 12 totally. drafted.
1: Last year, you could even get him in the second round. Right. Well, last year, I got to
2: be real. I did not trust Josh Jacobs last year. No. Because I was scared he was kind and of Doug Ve- Martining.
1: and Ve- And Vegas was um, kind of disrespecting him. Yeah. Kind of acting they like he's on his him, way out. They
2: were playing him in the Hall of Fame game. That's right. That was everyone's inclinations. They're like, oh, Josh Jacobs might get cut. That's right. Because Josh McDaniels is playing him in the Hall of Fame game normally uh, where you see uh, exactly zero starters playing unless they're, like, rehabbing from injury. Mm. Um, And you look at the running backs, at least in the fantasy world, these are names you got to be looking out for. Uh, you think of—we just talked about Austin Eckler. Christian McCaffrey, yep. obviously, pass catcher. If you are a pass catcher, especially in those leagues where you As get an extra back. point yep. for your receptions, those are big. This is one that surprises me. Running back three, B. John Robinson.
1: I know. They've got a rookie. Super high.
2: Well, I think you think of— Saquon Barkley, by the way, running back four. Yeah. Remember his rookie year?
1: Yeah. He was amazing,
2: uh, amazing
1: in his rookie year. Amazing.
2: Uh, so
1: but but from a year-to-year basis, Bijan Robinson is actually making as much as any running back in the league right, right. now, and it's his rookie He's Right,
2: because he was drafted with a top-10 overall pick. Yep. So he gets a lot of guaranteed money from there. He goes to a team head coached by Arthur Smith, the guy who pioneered, I'm going to give the ball to Derrick Henry. <laughs> And that was the extent of his offensive nature, is that, all right, Ryan Tannehill, I'm going to need you to not get the ball intercepted because we need to give the ball to Derrick Henry as many times as possible. So what do you think he's going to do with B. John Robinson? Will it possibly be, hey, Desmond Ritter, can you make sure you don't throw interceptions so that we can give B. John the ball more often? Yeah. <laughs>
1: What are your thoughts on the running back from Seattle, uh, Walker the Third?
2: Ah, Kenneth Walker. Yes. Uh, Where I,
1: right now they've kind of got him early second round, depending on how big your league is. Ooh, they, they've interesting. got him kind of around 10, 11, and 12. See,
2: in this, in this draft that I'm looking at, this was done around uh, the middle of August, I see him as running back. 23
1: dang even lower so
2: he's getting a lot of disrespect but to be fair that would be mostly with seattle because they drafted zach charbonnet the ucla running back Mm. and he's been getting a lot of carries in the preseason he's looking like he should get more carries at least in the regular season I think it's absolute disrespect, though, to a guy like Kenneth Walker III, who, by the way, I was at that Michigan State-Michigan game live where he went out and scored five touchdowns in a comeback (laughs) victory over the Wolverines.
1: He had a killer rookie season last year. He was
2: really good in his rookie year, and that was after he had a groin injury to start the year. And if Rashad Penny didn't go down, he probably wouldn't get a lot of playing time. I love Kenneth Walker as a back end, you know, maybe a flex guy, maybe a guy to have on your bench for sure, because I'm just not sure what his usage is going to be, because I'm not really convinced of him as like one of those elite pass catchers. I think he can. Catch the ball out of the backfield, but I don't think they're looking for him to catch the ball out of the backfield. Do I've you know what a,
1: I mean? I do. I, I've got another funny one here. Okay, Alexander Madison from the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, he's a running back who is taking over after they just got rid of Dalvin Cook. Okay, they have in this um, in this draft that I'm looking at right now. Cook is 15 spots below. Mattison, who barely played last year. The only time he played was when Dalvin Cook was hurt. <laughs> that makes no sense to me yeah. at all.
2: I think with Dalvin Cook, they just don't know how much he's going to be using the New York Jets. Uh, That's think, uh, the main worry I have with Dalvin Cook. But I would say I would steer very clear from Alexander Madison. Um, I know that Kevin O'Connell probably believes in him a little bit. I have never seen a game where Alexander Madison has popped off. Nope. There, every single time Dalvin Cook gets hurt, everyone's like, pick up Alexander Madison. You have to do this. And he never did anything whenever Dalvin Cook got hurt, at least in fantasy world. I'll have to preface that. In fantasy, he never really performed like how everyone re- think that he would break out if Dalvin Cook did get hurt. And this is the thing. I really think with the uh, Minnesota Vikings, their strength right now is passing the ball. Yeah. They have Justin Jefferson. They have Jordan Addison, who's been absolutely stellar
1: But they in have camp. Kirk Cousins.
2: And they have Kirk—well, Kirk, this is the thing. Kirk Cousins had an amazing year last year. Okay. And as, you know, the resident <laughs> hater of Kirk Cousins in this station— <laughs> I will say, he had a really great season last year. I don't think he's ever going to really get to the Super Bowl. But they also have TJ Hawkinson. So they have a lot of amazing weapons for him to pass to. He'll do what he does, show up in all of the regular season games, unless if it's a primetime game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he'll do what he does and be a pretty good quarterback in the regular season. And that means he's going to be passing the ball to Justin Jefferson as many times as possible, who, by the way, Should be the number one overall pick in absolutely everyone's leagues, in my opinion. Um, I think that Jordan Addison is a clear upgrade over Adam Thielen. K.J. Osborne is an amazing deep threat. Um, I just don't know why you would want to really run the ball that much with Alexander Madison. When you also have a perfectly good, like, uh, Tyson Chandler, who's been doing pretty good. I would rather pick up the backup to Alexander Madison than Alexander Madison himself. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> which is the that. funniest thing. Yeah. And that's the thing with Dalvin Cook is I am really curious to see how the Jets run that running back committee because I think – because Brees Hall is back. He was cleared for practices. And as we know, last year, the first couple of weeks before he tore his ACL, he um he was one of the best running backs in the NFL as a rookie. And then he gets hurt and the Jets' offense just kind of derails. Yeah. So now he's back. But the question is, you've now signed Dalvin Cook. Do you kind of make this a year, or do you just let Brees Hall get healthy? Because the thing with running backs who come off of ACL injuries, sure, there's Adrian Peterson ran for 2,000 yards. He's a freak, though. He's a freak. Saquon Barkley last year had his best year since his rookie year, Because he took about a year and a half to really get 100% after that ACL tear. As good as you can be when you come back from an ACL tear, the longer you kind of get away from it, the better you're going to get. If I were the Jets, I would kind of stash Brees Hall as much as I possibly can have Dalvin Cook play. You also have the pit running back, um, uh, Israel Abani Kanda, who's been absolutely stellar in the preseason. I know he ended last week with an injury, but he's only going to be out two weeks. So I think he's going to be ready for the regular season. Mm. Dalvin Cook might be a good pickup as a stash pick kind of later in your draft if he's available because Aaron Rodgers needs about as much help as he can get. And just having a good running back to the right of you or to the left of you, is a stellar help in a lot of ways for your passing offense. Mm. And that's why I don't believe in Alexander Madison because he's not at the same level of Dalvin Cook. They're not going to get the same level of running back back. And that's what absolutely perplexes me about the Dalvin Cook cut. Running back back. Yeah. Is that what I said? Mm-hmm. Dang. That's okay. I try my best. It it's, was
1: great. It's getting late. It's okay, man. I, I've been here for twelve I hours. It. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I've been stuck here for twelve hours. Let me <laughs> out, please.
2: This free is free Tanner. <laughs> this is off the bench on ESPN Honolulu. By the way, I will be freed. Uh, I think both of us are actually yeah, going to this. We are uh, so right after this. Well, not right after this. At about six forty-five, that we're going to be having the broadcast for the Rainbow Wahine soccer team. They'll be playing Sacramento State out at YPO. Uh, Hunter and I will be there. Hunter will be kind of, I'm assuming, roaming around. You'll get to see um, uh, Maisie or Hazy. Yeah, you'll get to see Hazy, um, Coach Bud's dog, who is always around. Oh, she cool. calls it like the Cadillac of dog strollers. Okay. So I know I have to find it because I have to make a morning report for the sports animals because oh, they need to know they how Hazy know. is doing. But it's going to be a fun game. They'll be playing against Sacramento State. A lot of Hawaii players on that team. They look to make their little kind of homecoming. The reunion. And the Rainbow Wahine will be looking for their first win of the season. They had that really great 7-5, to five, you know, failed comeback, but they were down like seven to 6-1 uh, to one at one point. That's a lot of goals. And that was all in like the last 20 minutes. I hope tonight's
1: minutes. like that, man. If there's 12 goals tonight, I'm going to have a good time. It
2: would definitely be an amazing time. Tanner Hayworth, Hunter Hughes, this is Off the Bench on ESPN Honolulu. Off the bench on ESPN, Honolulu, Tanner Harris and Hunter Hughes bringing you through the afternoon. Like we just mentioned, in about 45 minutes, Rainbow Wahine soccer. A lot of great stuff going on. The University of Hawaii football team are having a lot of fun over in Nashville. They've had two practices so far in the outside. Come on. Yeah. Help these guys out. We can't find an indoor facility for these guys. <laughs> But they had – I was thinking when I was looking through a lot of the footage and stuff, you're looking at a lot of practice stuff, a lot of really great uh, articles. I really loved today's um, uh, feature on Pfele Ashlock from uh, the Star Advertiser today. And I had never – I had not known this. Pafele Ashlock is part Tongan. So really? yeah, and he the part of North Texas that he comes from uh is like a large like Tongan like community and because they all work at United Airlines. Wow. Or American Airlines. I need to look, I need to make sure that that's right. But Well um, if it,
1: if he's from Houston most likely Yeah, Ulysses. If okay, if it's around Houston then most likely it's uh, United. So this is from – Their Steve- headquarters is down there.
2: This from Steven Sai in the article today on uh, Pofele Ashlock. Uh, he is a mix of Tongan and African-American, moved to Ulysses in Texas, and in the 1970s, many Tongan families relocated to Ulysses because of the job opportunities with American Airlines.
1: American Airlines, OK.
2: So that is certainly interesting because – and then I think Pofele talks about it here where American Airlines is a popular job for us Tongans out there because Ulysses is right by the airport. Nice. So that's a really great job for the um, anticipated starter in the slot, redshirt freshman Bofele Ashlock, who I don't like to toot my own horn a little bit. I did call out to look out for Bofele Ashlock in my Hawaii football preview. Mm. Of course, anyone can read that on manoanow.org slash Kaleo. student
1: paper. He snuck up on me. I was at just about every fall camp practice and. I remember seeing 86 out there, but thought the slot uh, the slot job was definitely more um, trending towards Kuali Nishigaya's right. um, his hands. Uh, just a experienced player in the run and shoot, tough over the middle, not afraid of getting hit. Um, so he, I think um, uh, Ashlock is providing a little bit more size. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to see those other guys. Again, I think we're going to see a cabinet. Ooh, how about that word? Mm. A cabinet of receivers being used a, throughout the season. A
2: gaggle of wide receivers? Ooh,
1: I don't know if I go that far.
2: Or you could go like the crow's direction, a murder of wide receivers. Ooh. If they're like really good. Dang. If we, like, we're gonna have really to, ball out. We're, we're
1: going to have to... A pod. No, you would say a pod of gonna offensive value. We're going to have to evaluate diamond. using murder after at least a couple of games. True, true. You if, could say... If uh, we beat Stanford, though, and put up, like, north of 35, I'm okay using that.
2: I think that's fair. Um,
1: so, in 2019, when, when we had JoJo, Cedric Bird. Jason Matthew Sharsh, John Ursua—that that was a murder of receivers.
2: Yeah, I think that was a murder of receivers. That's fun. You could say the same thing for like the Devon Best, the O seven, yeah, team. all those guys. Yeah, and I I just want to say this about Pfeffel Ashlock. Every time that I went to practice, and it was like a handful of times, he always made some crazy catch, and so I always I just put that in the back of my head, and I was just like, okay, this dude like jumps this dude like it reminds me of like jalen walthall when he whenever he would have like amazing catches and then he eventually made the starting lineup last year and you know i do still want to see a lot more a lot of jalen walthall still and like you said we're gonna see we we're gonna see the gaggle of wide receivers the murder of wide receivers we hope um and
1: i'm so excited we're two days away from football Ugh. Two days
2: that's it's amazing to say that out loud to just be so close to it.
1: and It's like Christmas Eve And just, Eve. And
2: just praying that it's like, please, please let us be at da, least competitive. Da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> I will do anything for us to at least cover the spread. Please. It, this is the closest I get to getting excited for Christmas is like right before football started. Mm,
2: I love that. Yeah. Well, we got only a couple seconds here. Uh, awesome being in with you, Hunter. I Good always love... Filling in for Josh. Uh, Josh, if you ever love doing stuff outside of doing the show, I'll always help fill in (laughs) for you. This is Off the Bench on ESPN, Honolulu.